Welcome to Journey Church Tucson Sermon Podcast. We are an evangelical free church seeking to honor God by making disciples that learn about, love like, and live like Jesus. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice. Yep, because that's the psalm that was cited. And the idea is that at least in that moment, most of Jerusalem welcomed Jesus as king. And isn't that what we want here at Journey Church? Isn't that what you want in your own personal life is to declare him? We don't make him Lord, we come under his lordship. Um, That's what it means to declare him Lord. And that's what we would want to do here at Journey Church. And really, that's at the heart of our eight-week sermon series that we are wrapping up this morning here on Palm Sunday. That we've taken these eight weeks, the first seven, we've actually looked at the seven letters to the seven churches of Asia Minor in the first century. And Jesus is depicted as the one who walks amongst them. He is not only there to empower them, but he's there to evaluate them, to encourage them, to confront them. The question is, did they welcome him? Because we want to be that church that says, Jesus, this is your church. This is your rightful possession. We want to hear from you, whether it's good or bad, whether it's kind and encouraging or difficult and confrontational. So this is actually a part of a larger year, 2023 being a a year of church health. You know, we've been through so much in the years together and uh, coming out of COVID and five things that were wrong in 2020, rebuilding as a church, rebuilding our staff. Uh, rebuilding our finances and asking the question here in 2023 but what is a healthy church and are we on track to be a healthy church and so we looked into these seven letters to see what a healthy church is from Jesus's perspective to give a little quick review of the seven churches we looked seven weeks ago at Ephesus they were the hard-working discerning sound in doctrine um, and they were faithful in doing church discipline but they didn't any longer have love. Smyrna was the beat down, persecuted, impoverished church, yet Jesus said that they were a faithful witness and that they were truly spiritually wealthy. Pergamum was next. They were the faithful witness in the face of persecution. On the big things, they were strong, but theologically and morally, they were becoming negligent. Well, the next church, Thyatira, was like that times two, and we discovered that they were the hard-working church, and they were also actually very loving. Their problem was that they were tolerant of false teaching. They were no longer just negligent. They actually knew about it and did nothing. False teaching and sexual immorality. And then there was Sardis, the church that gave up. They thought that they had completed their task, And they sat on their lead. They quit trying, so they stopped shining for Jesus. Number six was Philadelphia. They were the church with little power. And yet Jesus said that they were a powerful witness. And then last week we looked at Laodicea, the seventh church. The church that thought it had arrived. That they were the standard. That they had everything. They were the self-sufficient 
yet self-deceived church. Pastor Tyler. So as we've looked at these churches, we have noted several indicators of what we see as a healthy church in these texts. Uh, several characteristics that we believe Jesus expects to see and wants to see in his churches. And so we noted things like uh, Jesus wants his churches to be hardworking in the opportunities they have. He wants them to be patiently enduring in the face of opposition uh, they may encounter. He is concerned that they have right belief, right doctrine, that they have orthodoxy. Uh, that they are committed to a life of love and purity. Uh, and as well, in each church, we see that he is concerned that they be a public witness, a lampstand to those around them. Yes, now, concurrent to these, uh, the study of these seven churches, we not only curated, developed over 15 months uh, our own list, as well as an assessment tool uh, for our church in order to measure these 21, uh, not a little bit larger than, mm -hmm. than the list, but these are taken from Scripture, but 21 church health indicators. We also included uh, a portion uh, for anonymous, uh, open-ended feedback. So in the end, 96 of us took the survey, including elders, members of the staff, members of the church, non-members of the church, we had young and old, we had male and female, we had people that are new to the journey in the last five years, we have people that have been here for decades. As a pastoral team and, and uh, elder board, we sorted, we sifted, we prayerfully analyzed the data um, in order to glean God's heart for Journey Church. Uh, through the input of his body and the various members. Last week I mentioned the Quakers, and that I might explain this. The Quakers have what is what they called is, is a season of discernment. And the idea is this. Since we don't have a prophet that says, thus saith the Lord, we seek to hear the word of the Lord collectively and corporately. So a prolonged series uh, uh, series or uh, season of listening one to another, prayerfully considering, looking at the scripture, as well as looking at the, the data coming from the survey, the question is this, based on all these, these practices and the season of discernment, what might Jesus say to us here at Journey Church? So, for those of you who didn't take the survey or you don't quite remember it, here's our list. And you're going to notice as they come up, they're going to come up in two different uh, lists. And on the survey, this was invisible, and that was purposefully. But I feel like it's important for you to understand a distinction between the first 13 and then the latter eight uh, church health indices. So... They're divided up into these two categories, lead measures and lag measurements. I'm not trying to give you a PhD in this, just so that you're aware and you've heard it. This is why this distinction is important. The lead measures are distinguished from the, the lag measurements in this. They come first. They are actionable, meaning we can actually do something about them directly. 
They are future-oriented, and they happen to be our responsibility. Jesus holds us or me or the, the leadership accountable for these lead measures. Lag measurements are different. So the next eight, um, they're called lag measurements because they come later, sometimes much later. They're not directly actionable. Every time a leader tries to take responsibility for them and get a congregation to do these things, it does not end well. Okay? They're, they're not for him. It's not for them to actually force people into. They happen to be past-oriented, and ultimately they are God's work in the congregation. It, it follows this pattern. I planted Apollos water. God caused the increase. So the lag measurements are God causing the increase. Something that he does in the spirit and attitude of the congregation. So here they are, according to the list. You can see I'm not going to develop these or explain them at this point, but doctrine, prayer, discipleship, discipline. We felt like that was important to pull. It's a part of discipleship. But in our day and age, since very few churches actually address uh, deviant theology or behaviors, we go, no, that's important for a church. Uh, five is leadership, preaching, worship, vision, external focus, evangelism, assimilation, community, and communication. That's the lead measures. Lag measurements. Love. Unity. The scripture describes unity as something that the Holy Spirit does. And we are told, don't hurt it. God did it. Don't hurt it. So there's an example there. Generosity. Volunteerism. People actually sign up not only to serve but to lead. Uh, numerical growth. The Lord added to their number daily. Uh, it's related to number six. Conversions and baptisms. Those who are being saved. Seven is proliferation. That's it. Partnerships when we're giving our money and resources away to help other missionally aligned organizations reach further into the harvest than we can alone. And then finally, morale. How does the congregation feel about itself? Is it hopeful for what God is doing in, through, and amongst that congregation? Now, just to make some comments on what this means in terms of uh, how we approached the data that we all collected from you guys. Um, often organizations like ours, when they approach something like this, when they ask for feedback, they don't approach it either honestly or openly. And those are actually two different errors, so let me, let me kind of parse them apart. Thinking of the latter first, uh, if, you don't, uh, if you don't approach data honestly, then you won't have clarity about what the purpose is. You need to, when you ask questions like the questions we've been asking since this series began, we have been, we have been honest about the fact that we want to understand what it looks like to be a healthy church and where do we need to grow. Uh, and so we want to do that, but we want to do that anchored in Scripture and knowing that surveys like these, uh, they triangulate perception, not necessarily reality. Uh, let me give you an example. This isn't to say that anybody has a uh, distorted view of anything, but rather, you could see somebody, like Jim already mentioned, discipline, could see somebody put a low score on discipline, but a high score on communication. That might mean that we are actually not as good at communication, but if you assume we're good at communication, and then there's something we're not telling you, then you might think we're not doing it. So what we want to understand right off the bat is that we are 
we are seeing these surveys as giving us an understanding of the perception of Journey Church, and then the elders and pastoral staff were trying to figure out what the reality is for that and where we need to grow. So approaching it honestly, uh, but also we want to approach it openly, uh, which is to say that when we think about the data given, we're not approaching it. There's this old Latin phrase usually connected to democracies that's vox populi, vox dei, which is the voice of the people is the voice of God. We don't think that that's necessarily true. We don't think that any individual person, like Jim said, the purpose for doing this is that we don't have a prophet here. So we don't think that necessarily uh, somebody's survey uh, helps or somebody's survey says exactly what God would say to us, exactly what Jesus would say to us if he wrote an eighth letter to the church of Journey. But we understand that our congregation is filled with spirit-filled individuals. If you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. And so getting 96 voices from spirit-filled brothers and sisters who by and large, given our church, love our church, and our theologically astute individuals, that still helps us understand what is taking place in our church and what God might be doing in and through it. So we approach the data openly, uh, which is to say we approach the numbers and the commitments provided with a scout rather than soldier mindset. This is an analogy I like to use. Uh, a soldier, their job is to defend or attack a particular position on a battlefield. A scout, however, their job is to make sure that the soldiers have the proper intelligence and an accurate map. We will only be able to do what we need to do here if we're seeing the battlefield properly. And so approaching it like a scout means that you have to be willing to let your map of the battlefield be corrected. So we approach this with a soldier rather th or a scout rather than soldier mindset, looking for a good map and accurate intelligence so we can move forward. And with that in mind, I want to make a brief commentary. Three points I see in the data we received back. So these are three kind of big picture things that I noticed. And the first I will say is that this church is well geared for us. That'll become important uh, in a little bit, but let me tell you why I see that. The data gives us high averages across the board and high individual scores. When uh, Jim, when I hand this back over to Jim, he's going to put some scores up on the board, and you will see that they are out of a score of one to five, we are well above a four on most scores, meaning most people enjoy being here. They think that we are a pretty good church. As well, of the top scores, morale is one of our highest, meaning that the people, you guys, our membership, those who attend Journey Church on a regular basis, enjoy being here, and they're excited to see what God is doing in and through Journey Church. And as well, the individual or custom feedback we got in what Jim mentioned, the open-ended question at the end of the survey, the comments we got were by and large about making minor tweaks or modifications to things rather than looking for holistic or substantive changes, which tells me that most people think there is room for improvement at Journey Church, but again, by and large, we're, we are on the track of church health. A second insight from the, the data is that what you see is what you get at Journey Church. Uh, some of you know that I had jury duty a couple of weeks ago, and jury duty provided me many opportunities to open my computer and go through the data and start to split it out by the different demographics that we had asked for at the beginning of the survey. And I found this to be interesting, but no matter how you broke out the data, the results were pretty much the same. If you parse the data by age group, separating out, say, our college students from uh, our young families, from those who are closing in on the end of their career to our retirees, 
all that data gives you the exact same highs and lows. As well, if you broke it out by duration of uh, attendance here, whether you've been here for a year or 20 years, if you broke it out by role in the church, whether you're an elder or staff member, a member of the church, or a non-member but, non but frequent attender of the church, whether you're intentional in your pursuit of discipleship or resolute but feeling unintentional in your pursuit of discipleship. Everybody gave pretty much the same answers across the board, which tells me that what you see is what you get at Journey Church. There's nothing hidden behind the curtain that the elders know that most of you don't know. There's nothing, there's no big secrets we're keeping from anybody. Everybody kind of sees the same thing. So, you, excuse me, you might have been, uh, you might be a new member having been here just for a year, or you might be an elder finishing out your second decade of attendance. You see the church pretty much the same. Here's a third insight. It's clear from the data that we want to grow numerically and spiritually. We'll talk about our low scores in a bit, but the feedback being fairly uniform pointed to a desire to see improvement in numerical growth, but not simply numerical growth just as a standalone issue, numerical growth through conversions and baptisms, which I find really interesting because we have actually grown over the past year. We have increased substantially in our numbers from one year ago this Sunday. But much of that growth, as people indicated, has been transfer growth. And what I see in the data is that our congregation, those who gather here, are not willing or not content, I should say, with simply growing because maybe there's a controversy at a church down the road, or maybe there's a pastoral transition at another church in town, or maybe there's uh, you moved from one area of Tucson to this area of Tucson because of a job or a change in housing, or maybe you weren't in Tucson or Arizona to begin with. I myself am a California transplant at Journey Church because I was called from California in the ministry we, my wife and I had there to Journey. But it seems, looking at the data, we are discontent with growing simply because of transfer or transitions from one church to the next. This church wants to see more seats filled because the Lord Jesus Christ is raising dead souls to new life. Amen. So how about some results? Here's how the graphs are built. The original tool was a one to five on a Likert scale, which means one is very poor, and five is, it's a superpower. This church is amazing. Um, we had to take these scores and amplify them to see the contour. So we moved it from a one to five Likert scale to a four, five scale so that we could amplify the variances. So here's the first, the first uh, scale for um, our lead measures and um, i'm just going to walk you through because you can't see those but i want you to just connect with what those those things mean so moving from right to left i'll just name which what bar that is so under the on the far left so as i said right to left start with the left move right yes so that's doctrine doctrine next to it in green is prayer uh, next to that in gray is discipleship the yellow is discipline the red that spikes way up there is godly leadership. The fuchsia next to it is preaching. The one, the blue bar that's next to that is worship, our worship experience on Sunday mornings. Uh, green is vision. What now, what else, what next? 
The gray there is external focus. We're trying to shine the light. But then next to that in yellow is evangelism. How we feel about ourselves and the people next to us and how we do together at actually clearly communicating the gospel. Then the orange is or red is assimilation. And then the fuchsia again is community. And then the blue on the end is communication. Does the church know what we're doing? Does the church know about the church and what we're actually doing next or what now? Can I ask a quick question Please. about that? Is that color really fuchsia? Um, um, that's that a good question. I, I would, I'm just thinking because this morning I would not have said I owned a fuchsia shirt. Okay. But yeah. Fair. Some, someone in graphic design <laughs> can correct me later. And I'll show you what it looks like on my iPad. Iris 5.5. Oh, okay. okay. Excellent. Um, here's the next chart, the lag measurements, okay? Again, on a 4-5 scale to amplify the variance, um, you, you can see our church believes itself to be very loving of Jesus, one another, and those outside our fellowship. Next to that in green is unity, uh, gray is generosity, and then we start to dip down, getting close to the bottom, uh, volunteerism. And then you see next to that in red is numerical growth. That's interesting. We actually grew 21% from Q1 2022 to Q1 2023. So that's year over year how we count that. But the perception is we're not growing numerically like we want. So you come in and you go, hey, where is everyone? Um, that weighs into that score. And then back to uh, what I've described as fuchsia. Um, is conversion and baptisms. Then blue is proliferation growth, that partnership with aligned ministries, and then congregational morale. How we Are we hopeful about what God is doing in, through, and around Journey Church? And again, way up, one of our highest scores. So, Tyler, let's talk about highs and lows, strengths and weaknesses. Yeah, uh, Jim gave me, when we preached through the series, uh, the churches that got persecuted and were being told they needed to buck up. So uh, he gave me the opportunity to talk about where we're strong. So when we think about where are our highest scores, where, what are the strengths of Journey Church? Uh, in terms of Jim's lead and lag concepts, and according to uh, the data you guys gave us, we are strong in doctrine. We're averaging just under a five score. The, the numbers specifically break down to a 4.8. Uh, we're also strong in preaching. Uh, thank you. Thank you for that. I needed that. Uh, but, uh, so a 4.79 4 in preaching and leadership as well, a 4.7. Uh, this means that we are building here a theologically robust, biblically faithful, and wisely led church. And I think that's something that we at Journey Church can be proud of. Uh, that's something that I, I appreciate seeing, not just uh, as a joking ego boost, but, but those elements are important for getting a church that is on track and headed in the right direction. So, as well, we see in terms of the lagging indicators that Jim talked about, we see a high score in morale and a high score in love, which tells me that you guys like being here, that you're excited about what the Lord is doing in and through Journey Church, and you are either experiencing or I should add this caveat, at least perceiving Journey Church to be a loving place to be. Again, 
I want to reiterate about that data. We see that to be true, or we see that to be the results we got back across the demographic board. Again, age, where you're at in the church, how long you've been here, those are the answers we got back regardless of how you split out the data. And then when we go to the next list, Tyler handling where we are strong at. Um, the next list that I'm handling is where we are not so strong. Uh, please understand we still sit right at a 4.0 uh, by our own assessment. And so we're just looking for that contrast. And as we look at that contrast, when we go back to the top list of the church health lead measures, our lowest one is evangelism coming in at a 4.28. And remember, this, what this means is how we feel about our own personal individual, as well as the person next to us, and then together, how are we doing in clearly communicating the gospel of Jesus to the unconverted? That's from the lead measures. From the lag measurements, I actually have five up on the slide. Two of them are not in bold. They just make the list because they come down to a 4.2, generosity and proliferation. But it's the, the middle three that I want to look at because they start to hit uh, right above and right below the 4.0 mark. Volunteerism, probably weighed in, people are leading four and five different things, and some people aren't leading or serving regularly at all. That's the perception. But then these two really seem to go together um, and connect with the lead measure of evangelism. Numerical growth, 3.9. And conversions and baptism, 3.9. Uh, numerical growth slightly higher than conversions. And I think when we put this data all together, we analyze it, I think it's spot on. When I looked at the data and I looked at the graphs, I said, yep, that's what it smells like. That's what it's felt like to be true. I see it the way you see it. And... The idea here is this, um, while we mean well and love the lost of our city, we're not as intentional. We don't believe we are as intentional or as active as we could be in our evangelistic efforts individually and corporately, in that it's showing up, or should I say not showing up, in our baptistry, in the way that we would like it to so here's the question as we look at all the data together. What might Jesus say to us here at Journey Church? Now, I'm going to give you a very clear disclaimer. What we are about to unwrap is not the words of Jesus exactly. It does not rise to the level of Scripture. So don't you dare say that we said it that way. Okay? It's us thoughtfully, prayerfully, collectively analyzing what do we think Jesus might be saying. So this is the letter to Journey Church. I'm only going to pick four out of five pieces of the formula that we actually see in Revelation 2 through 3. So the first question is this. How might Jesus present himself to us? And spend some time thinking through the Revelation two through three letters, and honestly, 
The first verse, I don't think we could do better than the first verse. It's where Jesus introduces himself, not only to Ephesus, but really even frames the identity of all faithful churches. He says in Revelation 2.1, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. You remember the seven golden lampstands are the seven churches. Jesus walks in our midst. But why does he call them lampstands? And the reason is this, because the primary identity of the local church in the city is that of shining the gospel for those who do not have it. It's not just a holy huddle where we get more holy. Now that's super important. Holiness or a lack of holiness will absolutely put out the light. But holiness is so that the light shines brightly into the community. And that's how Jesus frames not only the letter to the church of Ephesus, but frames all of his letters um, to all these churches. Uh, we see that this is nothing new to Revelation. Uh, I did this on the first Sunday of the sermon series. I, I cited an Old Testament scripture, Isaiah 49.6, where God said to the Jewish nation, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. And you go, but they didn't do it. They failed. Yeah, but Jesus came on the scene and he gathered followers. And early on in his ministry, in the, during the Sermon on the Mount, he says these words. They should sound very familiar. You are the light of the world. And then going back to the letter to Ephesus and where, where Jesus was sourcing that statement and explaining what are the lampstands. Well, in Revelation chapter 1, he tells us, Revelation 1.20, the, the seven lampstands are the seven churches. I find it interesting that uh, in the first century, the church, the church was called by the name of the city. Uh, we don't have that same structure now. We have many different kinds of churches, some aligned, some not so aligned. But they're called by the name of the city, then they're considered as golden lampstands. And the idea is this, their first priority, their responsibility... Their missional mandate is to shine the gospel first to the people of their city and then to the rest of the world. And I think that we know that. And the data supports that. And you're thinking that. That we are a people that wants to reach more lost people. To see them come to faith in Christ. It's not just Pastor Jim. We all want that. We want to see him baptized as new disciples. We are a church that wants more. Amen? All right, so what might Jesus say to us to commend us from the data? And went back and thought more about these seven letters, and a couple of portions came to mind. First is from uh, going back to the letter at Ephesus. I think we match this. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and you cannot bear with the, those who are evil. Listen, if the Bible says it clearly... God, we're not going to fudge on that. We're not going to change our position because someone gets uncomfortable with it. We love them. We love this world. But we're going to stay true to the scripture just like Ephesus did. You cannot bear with those who are evil. You've tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake. So that was that really resonated. Like, I think we match that. And then 
uh, the church of Philadelphia in Revelation 3.8. Jesus says this, I know your works. Behold, I've set before you an open door and no one's able to shut. I know that you have but little power. Listen, we're not the biggest church in the game. We're not the biggest powerhouse in Tucson. We don't have unlimited resources like a few churches seem to have. He says, you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. So putting that together, perhaps Jesus would say something like this. And notice I'm not even putting it in, in uh, italics or quotes. I'm not doing that. I'm not saying Jesus said this. Perhaps he would say something like, I know your works, your knowledge, teaching, and keeping of my word. You are not afraid to speak out or stand alone. You have not chased trends or fads, but have, partic- uh, but have been principled and steady. You have loved me, one another, and my special ones. You know who they are. You have not denied my name. So next is how might Jesus correct and encourage us at Journey Church? few more portions of Revelation 2 through 3 stood out. Back to Ephesus, but in the reverse. So watch, I'm going to say it and then uh, a comment. I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. My assessment from even some of the data and being a part of this church for 14 years, and even self-disclosure, there have been times where I and I see that you have grown weary weary 2019 2020 smoked us ministries that we started just evaporated there was no one to lead them and no energy left big outreach events just fell off the map we're saying that there might be a strategic reason for that but there was also an exhaustion reason for that either way we're not done yet even if we have to do it differently we're not done yet And then uh, Revelation 3, 2, to the church of Sardis, where Jesus says, Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I've not found your works complete in the sight of my God. I think perhaps Jesus would say something to us. I know you're tired. I know you've given and given. You're discouraged. But guess what? I'm not done with you yet. And you're not done serving me. Keep going. Keep trying. So what might he say to us? Try this. I've not found your works completed in the sight of my God. There are more who need to see and hear the good news of the gospel through you. Together and individually, you're not finished yet. And then fourthly, what might be the admonition or the path forward? And I'll tell you, I'm going outside of revelation 2 through 3 now but i am staying with the apostle john john was the one who transcribed these letters so i'm staying with john john was quoting jesus in the in the revelation 2 through 3 john's going to quote jesus in john 15 the upper room discourse i'm only picking five verses i think perhaps jesus might say something to us like he said to them John 15, 4 through 5, abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. 
I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jumping forward a few verses to 7 and 8. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Contingent upon abiding in him and his word, right? Then we ask, by this is my father glorified that you bear much fruit. He wants us to be fruitful and so prove to be my disciples. And then one more from verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide or remain so that whatever you ask in the Father, in my name, he may give it to you. Three key words that I want to pick on for just a, a, a hot second is abide. Six times it shows up in those five verses. Spiritual formation, discipleship, doctrine, knowledge and practice of the word of God. Intimacy with Jesus. Connect deeply, corporately and individually with Jesus Remain in him. Don't leave. Don't quit. The next word is bearing fruit. Four times in these five verses. And the idea in this context is not just, it's not the fruit of the spirit. It's evangelistic fruit of lost people coming to faith and the church being built up. That's John 15. And it's an idea of partnering with God in the lead and lag measures us doing our part, but abiding in him and being patient for him to do his part and through us producing spiritual fruit that remains. And then ask. Two times in this text, we are told about prayer. Fervent, kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, strategic prayer. Not just prayer requests, only for cancer. Prayer for conversion of the lost, to ask. So putting this all together, perhaps the Lord would say something like this to Journey Church. Perhaps this could be our letter. To the angel of the church called the journey, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your knowledge, teaching, and keeping of my word. You are not afraid to speak out or stand alone. You have not chased trends and fads, but have been principled and steady. You have loved me, one another, and my special ones. You have not denied my name. Yet I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. There are more in your community who need to see and hear the good news of the gospel through you corporately and individually, you're not done yet. And then finally, abide in me and I in you. Walk with me. Be faithful. Keep working. Pray. And be patient. Be patient. Amen? Where does this leave us? Well, the work begins in us. Because having the letter doesn't that we've got it figured out yet. But we got a few things that we've actually already been doing. Pastor Tyler, you want to walk us through yeah. some of the steps forward? 
in, in a sense, each of the letters begins, as Jim pointed out, with an admonition or an address to the, the angel, the messenger, the pastor of Journey Church. So, too, uh, our work begins at the leadership pastoral eldership level. And so Jim and the elders will be spending some time in their up-and-coming meetings reflecting on and working to articulate what is it uh, that God would have us do in pursuit of the mission here among us in this season of life. So the, the, often the organizational term for this is vision. And so, so they will be seeking to uh, gain a clear, concrete articulation of what our vision for the church is. And in tandem with that vision, Jim, myself, and the staff will be working to curate and design opportunities for greater and deeper discipleship, guided by the principle of Ephesians 4, 11 through 12, which says, He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. Meaning that those, the gifts, those, uh, those individuals, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers were given to the church to equip the church in order that the church might be able to do the work of ministry. So if we, the, if the elders, the teachers, the preachers, the pastors, and the staff of this church are gifts to the church in order to equip us all for the work of ministry, then we need to curate and guide and develop opportunities for that. So we'll be striving to come up with ways and develop things that will be able to equip the body of Journey Church for the task of making and multiplying disciples here in Tucson. A few efforts that we already have underway, we'll be launching the men's cohort groups, uh, which are being developed right now. They'll be launching with the membership meeting next month after church. Uh, as well, we have a discipleship training courses. I just, uh, I'm wrapping up one uh, this week on gospel fluency, but we have another in terms of uh, that we're developing in terms of looking at a beginner's guide to Christianity, uh, to what it means to be a s disciple. And after Easter, Jim will be teaching a three-week course on sharing Jesus the way God made you. Uh, likewise, we'll be pursuing avenues of spiritual formation both collectively and individually, including a summer, summer sermon series focusing on prayer, which will run in tandem with a weekly prayer gathering in the place of where we would normally have our discipleship class. That being said, though, you don't have to wait to summer in order to uh, start pursuing, as Jim said, fervent, harvest-focused prayer. Uh, Good Friday is coming up. As Jim said, this is Palm Sunday. Traditionally, this, this week, starting today, has been called Holy Week, where the church reflects on the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, culminating in the resurrection on Easter. But Good Friday is the day in which Jesus knowingly went to the cross to display his love for the lost. Every single one of us in here was once lost, but is now found because Jesus Christ put bloody foot in front of bloody foot as he carried the crossbar of a Roman crucifix up a hill in Jerusalem to give his life. And so we would love to take Good Friday and make that an opportunity for us to be Together in prayer, wherever God has placed us in our world, whether that's in a college classroom on the U of A, whether it's in an office uh, in one of the business or engineering sectors, or whether that's here at church staff, or whether that's in a home uh, as a parent, we believe that together we can, get, we can 
uh, congregate spiritually through prayer and fasting. And so Good Friday, uh, we, would, we would love to invite you to partner with us in prayer and fasting for the lost in Tucson and in your analog social networks wherever God has placed you from your family and household uh, to the sector of Tucson where you earn your living or uh, gain your education. Uh, as well, uh, we can even begin today. Uh, we are going to be moving, transitioning to a time of communion uh, shortly. Oh, I'm going to cut you off really quick. Okay. There was one more that you glossed over that I'm looking at together. Okay. Um, journey groups. Uh, last Sunday, uh, we had 17 current journey group leaders at our house, Stacy and, and myself, in order to refresh and revision our current journey group leaders, um, which is an a integral part of our discipleship system. Uh, April 17th, we're going to have a second luncheon for anyone who has pondered, would I ever consider being a journey group leader or host? And so I want you to hear that. We're looking for another uh, string, a fresh string of journey group leaders, and I want you to hear that uh, coming up as well. Part of our plans. Mm-hmm. I did see that in the notes, but it said Stacy and I. And it oh, was, that sounded there was wrong. A, yeah, yeah, no, so Stacy and I. There we go. Yeah, there you go. There we go. Yeah. Uh, but like I said, we're we're going to be transitioning to a time of communion here shortly, and so this is a time in which we can. Uh, reflect on the life and death of Jesus Christ, reflect on, we will also be taking communion on Good Friday, but reflect on what happened there. And even now, uh, as we go to a time of self-examination, thinking about as well uh, a prayer for those whom you may know who are lost and who you want to see uh, covered, uh, covered metaphorically, spiritually, and forgiven by the broken body and spilled blood of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we want to, uh, the, the ushers are going to start to pass out the elements this morning. And if you are in the faith and walking with Jesus currently, feel free to participate with us. But let's just bring it back around to Palm Sunday and the triumphal entry. I want you to consider this, that on that day, they received their king. And yet, less than a week later, the vast majority of them cried out for his crucifixion. That Jerusalem had both received and then rejected her king. And as we look back at the seven churches, it's one in particular, Laodicea, who was once infused with the presence of Jesus. He walked in their midst And yet, he was now outside. And in Revelation 3.20, this is where I want us to think together, and we want to think about what God is saying to us in our church here, in what this communion means. We want to focus together on the communal aspect. We as Journey Church are receiving Jesus through the elements We are saying yes to the knocking of the Lord Jesus. You'll see the scripture up on the screen. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Let us be that church that says, Jesus, even if you say hard things to us, this is your church. You are welcome here. We receive you, 
by the broken body and the shed blood, these symbols, we invite you both individually and collectively, Jesus, be not just our Savior, be our Master. Thank you for listening to Journey Church Tucson Sermon Podcast. We'd love to have you join us in person on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. You can find out more about us at journeyefc.org.